you came in here this week with uh, a whole lot of burdens. Maybe it's been a tough week, uh, a difficult week, a crazy week, a busy week, whatever it is. You know, we all come in here with our, our things that attach to us. Um, but as we've, you know, said over and over again so far, man, tonight's about God. And so whatever those things are that are niggling in the back of your minds, I want to ask you to lay them down tonight and just focus your eyes on Him. We are definitely expecting for God to do something. Can I ask uh, John and Donna, if you could just stand. Donna, if you can come up. And maybe Brian and Julie, I just want to introduce you to our friends again. And you know, I'm going to hand over to John shortly so you won't have to hear my, my monotonous voice over and over again. But these are very close friends of ours. Um, we've known Brian and Julie longer. I've known John quite a, quite a while. And Donna I've met for the first time tonight. And I'm so glad I met her because I was worried about John for a while. But uh, she definitely makes John seem a lot more normal to me now. Um, these are good friends of ours and, and, and very important prophetic voices in the life of this local church and in our lives as an eldership team and in our lives as an eldership couple. Uh, they've spoken into our lives. They've brought revelation to us when we've needed it. They've heard from God uh, and really been a huge encouragement. And I just want to honor them because, you know, we're walking this road, you know, planting and replanting and rebuilding and transitioning and going through all of the stuff that we go through as believers and through our life with God is Hard enough as it is, but without people around you, it's even harder. And so we have each other, which I'm so grateful for, but we have these voices that so into our lives, and I just want to honor them. Obviously, John, you can come up and, and say what you have to say, but I just wanted to honor you guys publicly and thank you for all that you've done. So, John, over to you. Wow. Well, it's good to be here. Good to be back. Amen. Amen. Recognize a couple faces. How many of you were here last time I was here last year? Oh, yeah. Okay. Amazing. Well, I would say welcome back, but I'm the one that's back, so that doesn't work. Let's see. I have some things to share, but I'm, gonna, I'm waiting just a second. One of the things that I really try to be sensitive to is giving room for invitations when... Um, I'm not quite sure if I've heard everything that God wants to do. I don't want to rush ahead and miss something. And so just, um, I have that hesitancy. I just want to make sure I don't miss anything uh, right now. It's interesting. We, we used to be really used to silence in church. It's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? Um, I, I feel like there's an encouragement. I, I was thinking about a, a little kind of a prophetic spoken word thing that I had written in, um, a little while ago. And I, I think I'll, I'll probably share it. But the, the encouragement that I want to just bring, and you'll, you'll hear it when I, when I read this here in a second. Um, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And it's something I have learned, there, there's a way to guarantee that hope gets deferred. Decide when and how God's going to fulfill his promise. Because you, you, you don't understand. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We're, we're going to start talking about 
kind of discerning and responding to Revelation. And so I, I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of a prequel, but um, some of you need to remember that some of the promises that you thought didn't come through because of circumstances, because of situations, it's not that they didn't come through. It's what you thought they were going to look like didn't happen. But the promise still stands. There's this, uh, this verse, it's in Isaiah, I always forget which chapter, I don't think it's 55, but it's somewhere in that area. Um, says that, that the word of God never returns void, that it, that it always accomplishes what, what it's sent out to do. It's, it's like water. It's, it's going to do something, right? It, it, it never ends. It changes form. Sometimes it's rain and sometimes it's humidity and sometimes it rises and it's clouds and then sometimes it's rain and then sometimes it's rivers. It, it's all these different things, but it will fulfill its purpose and each of the different forms, though they're different, are actually part of the purpose. And when God's word comes, it doesn't always look like what we thought. But it will always accomplish what he sent it to accomplish. It's impossible for a word from God not to fulfill itself. If God is actually all-powerful and he's actually all-knowing, it's impossible for a true word from God to not fulfill itself. We'll, we'll, we'll go through, and as we, as we start teaching, we'll make sure we have opportunities for Q&A, because I'm going to bring up some things that are, are the kind of the hot questions, if you will, when it comes to the prophetic, because we, we've got a, a nice mess on our hands in what we call American prophetic, and it, it really doesn't need to happen if we actually just understood what the Bible says it wouldn't have happened, but... We're where, where we're at, and so there's some really good questions that we need to, to talk through, and that, that's the whole point of responding to God. How, how do we actually respond to what he said? And, and one, you've got to figure out what it is that he said, and then two, what to do with it. So let me read this. I, I never know what to call these things, spoken word. It's not quite poetry. It's not quite spoken word because I don't memorize them. I just read them, but they're words, and I hope they mean something. There's a shaking, a trembling, a moving in the deep. Light is rising, and the fountains begin to leak. Fire is burning. Embers are glowing, a blowing is fanning into flame, forgotten fire, and yesterday's promise is breathing again. Full of expectation for the now that was and is coming that now is. Full of hope, color exploding, arise my soul and sing your future. The path rises before rocky and tired, disappointments being pressed under my feet, as I step in cadence to the heartbeat within that is without, that defines and explains, that heals and fulfills, that awakens longing and is the longing that we've been afraid to give words to unless it overtakes inhibitions and hope actually comes alive. Hope that the me that he sees is truly the me that will be seen. No more shadows, leaving dark places behind, stepping into light and finding I am light. My wings begin to stretch and fill with breath. Shall I take flight? 
Leave behind lies that define sorrow that binds, fear that draws a line. Hope sneaks up and it scares me into jumping. Faith catches me right when I felt I was falling. Love matures and I find I am. I am me, the me that you saw and knew before me was, the me that you dreamt of in the darkness before the stars were hung and named, the me that you found in you springing from your fountain, the fountain of you, the revealer of you because you revealed me. I am free. Come and see, you are me and now you are free. Step off the cliff. Stretch your wings. His wind will blow. Don't hold back. The time is now. You are free, and free is you. Lord, that's what I'm asking, that as we take this time tonight and tomorrow, that hope would sneak up on us and scare us into jumping. would launch us into your plan, would overtake the fear and the disappointments of yesterday, would begin to redefine the disillusionment and the confusion. And Father, every place where the enemy has tried to tell us that somebody or someone else is at fault for the lack of our promise being fulfilled, would you break that lie? You are bigger. The Lord, where we have thought that something that wasn't you was you, would you reveal and would you show it? Lord, we don't want to try to stand on something other than your words because anything other than your words is just sand. It just shifts. It moves. It cannot hold the weight of the destiny that you have purposed for us. That your word is a rock. Those who trust in you shall not be moved. They will be like Mount Zion unshakable. And so, Lord, we, we choose, like Isaiah, to set our face like a flint, determined to do your will, because you are with us. But Lord, we, we want to know that will. Lord, we, we know the general will, and we, we choose to set our lives after the things that you've clearly revealed in Scripture. But Lord, we also want to know, know your specific will. Lord, what's the step? that we take? What, what, what's the uniqueness to the call that you've given us? What's our part to play? And Lord, what, what, what's hope? What is wishful thinking? What is us trying to falsely apply a promise to manipulate you into doing something that we want to happen? And what is actually your word and your promise spoken to us? Lord, we want to separate all of that stuff out so that we have something solid to stand on. So 
So let your light shine, Lord. Open up your word and let it come alive. Your scripture that you've given us for life, for instruction, for, for, for shifting, for disciplining, for reproving, for correcting, for training, for equipping, so that we can do what you've given us to do, so that we can be fully equipped for every good work that you've put in front of us. Lord, let your word come to life and let your spirit breathe on your word. Lord, that things that have just merely been information, that your spirit would cause them to be revelations so that we could have transformation. Help us to see. We, we need eyes to see. We need ears to hear. And we know we, we can't just make them happen on our own. It only happens because you give eyes to see. You give ears to hear. And that's what we're asking. Would you release eyes to see and ears to hear? Lord, we put no trust in our gifting. We put no trust in man. We, we do not put our trust in chariots or horses, but we put our trust in the name of the Lord our God. Lord, we don't trust an anointing. We don't trust a ministry. We trust Jesus. Lord, bring us back to the rock that is unshakable. The purity, the simplicity of devotion to Jesus Christ. An intimate friendship where we hear what you say. Your words abide in us. And we abide in you, and so we bear fruit. Amen. Lord, guide and direct this time that we have together. Make it fruitful for your kingdom. And Lord, give, give us hearts of worship. It's so easy just to, to start listening and let our minds take over. And Lord, we want our minds engaged because we want to learn and grow. But more than that, we want our hearts to be engaged, that we would, we would not let go of the fact that our lover is here, that our Father is near. Lord, help us to remain aware of your presence and not take for granted the gift that you've given us. Emmanuel, God with us Amen. here now. Yes. Lord, you're so beautiful. You're so good. It's scary. So we declare that this time and this space is sanctified. It's consecrated unto you and to your purposes and your purposes alone. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yea, God. So we, we probably go around... 
for the rest of our time together and some extra time if we wanted just with the stories that are in this room of prophetic words gone bad. But how many of you have ever had somebody that said that they heard from God and it was completely wrong? To you. All right. That's actually, that's, 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 that's pretty good. About, about 10, 15%. I was, uh, we were pastoring a church up in Boston and we, we had a young woman that started coming to the church. She had uh, been a worship leader and uh, had really started coming into the things of spirit and you know, found out that, you know, God was still speaking and still doing things and moving, and, and her heart started to come alive for, for prayer specifically and worship and the prophetic, and so she'd heard about what was going on in our church, started coming, and after a few months, uh, I, I just noticed, like, she, she wasn't coming around, she'd, she'd been really excited, and so I was just, I was trying to figure out what was going on. After a few weeks, I, I gave her a call. I'm like, hey, so what, what's going on? What, you know, I, I noticed you haven't been around. Is, is everything okay? And she starts telling me this story. She'd been invited to go to this prophetic night that was going on. Um, somebody was kind of well-known as a, as a prophetic voice was going to be ministering. There was a small group of people. And so she'd, she'd gone with a few friends of hers, and this person had... Um, given some crazy accurate words of knowledge to different people that were in the room and then had turned to her and pointed to this other guy that was also in the room and said that, that they were supposed to be married. <laughs> Problem is she knew this guy and she didn't like him. <laughs> and she was so confused that God would want her to do that she wasn't sure if she could trust God because it so violated her heart. Like, how could I trust a God that doesn't even know my heart? And I we began to explain how it was just not God at all. That this was, you know, this is something else. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about reading souls. It's probably the guy was attracted to her. And this prophetic guy was picking up that attraction and without using wisdom, had prophesied something that should never have been said, and definitely shouldn't have been said as if it was from God. There's a problem when something like that happens, or you have somebody that has a really good prophetic word. The church where me and Donna first went to when we came to the Lord and were being discipled, John Paul used to come and minister there on a regular basis. John Paul Jackson was our mentor. And he's known as a prophetic voice, and he, he would give prophetic words. And I, I've seen some of the most astounding prophetic um, experiences in, in meetings where, where he ministered at that church specifically. And one of the, one of the prophetic words was to a, a couple that was a part of the church, and they got really excited about this word. And I don't know the details of the word, but I do know the details of what happened because I had conversations with the pastors afterwards. They got so excited with this prophetic word and what they thought that it meant that they moved to another state and everything fell apart. They, they went from a place of things were going good. They were in community. They had solid jobs. You know, there, there was, there was, they were moving forward in many different ways. There was a stability there. there. There was a hunger after the things of the Lord. And they go trying to figure out how to fulfill this prophetic word. And now suddenly things are going bad. They're, they're in debt. They're, they're having struggles in marriage. I mean, it's, you know, pressure creates tension. 
<laughs> and so that, that created issues there. And a couple years later, they came back to the church, basically with their tail between their legs, as the saying goes. And it took a couple years for the pastors to walk them through some healing and their disappointment because they'd done what God had said. And the reality is they didn't actually do what God said. They tried to make happen something. And so one, you have a bad prophetic word. One, one you have a bad application, a bad response to prophetic words. And then you, you, you take a look at some of the stuff that is being called uh, prophetic uh, in popular media. You can go on YouTube and you have someone that's talking about how they go to heaven every day and ride roller coasters and cows walk around and teach kids how to worship. There's a problem there. <laughs> Somebody's got imagination. They probably should be making cartoons, but not calling it prophecy. Like there's probably a gift there. It's just not a prophetic gift. Right? You, you, you have, you know, you have somebody that has, I mean, clear track record of having heard from God um, accurately, astoundingly, but then says that uh, John the Apostle is still alive and he's hiding in a cave and he's going to be coming out of hiding so he can teach the church what the book of Revelation really means. He's been spending the last 2,000 years in isolation, not actually fulfilling the great commandment and doing all the stuff that he wrote in the gospel and he wrote in his books of, but, you know, now he's going to come and reveal. There, there, there's, there's a problem with the way that we think about revelation when that is acceptable. And the problem is it, it's actually acceptable. But there, there, are, there are thousands, millions of people that are following things like this. And then you, you have, um, not, not talk about some of the, the prophetic stuff, but how, how many of you read R.T. Kendall's new book, Prophetic Integrity? Two people. R.T. Kendall has a new book called Prophetic Integrity, <laughs> and on Sunday, I'm sure that he will have it with him, but he wrote this book to deal with how many people prophesied things that clearly did not come to pass, and then how few people actually said, hey, I'm sorry I missed it. I know of, I, well, I know of a handful. I was going to say two. I, I know of two very prominent that clearly Said, but, but actually, when I start thinking about it, I, there's at least three or four um, that, that I can think of that, that did that, that, that actually responded. But I've also been in meetings uh, uh, of prophetic leaders in our nation where one of the major prophetic leaders was explaining, hey, if you get a prophetic word and you believe that it's from the Lord and, you've, and you prayed and, and that was a word from the Lord, even if it doesn't come to pass, you should not apologize. You heard from the Lord. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Have we read Deuteronomy 18? If somebody says something's going to happen and it does not come to happen, do not listen to that person. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. It was not me. It's clearly what the Bible says, but we don't really need to pay attention to the Bible because we have prophecies now. We, we have to have a safe way because you can't just throw it out because if you actually believe the Bible, you, you can't go without listening to God. 
You're not given that option. Actually, you're told clearly in Scripture, at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We're commanded to desire spiritual gifting, spiritual activity, and to put prophetic, meaning that we're hearing from God at the top of the list of the things that we desire. That, that's a scriptural command. So you, you can't just ignore that. You can't take the parts of the Bible that you like and throw out the parts that you don't like. The whole, the sum of your word is truth, O God, David said in Psalms. It, it, it's the whole counsel of scripture. When we come together, it will give us the balance but there, there are people that consider themselves prophetic ministers that have never read the whole Bible. I mean, it's not surprising when you look at the overall church, because the overall church, those that are considered born again, and Barna is really good at going through, he, he does these surveys, and he has a series of questions to figure out if somebody is born again. Are they really? We don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But it's pretty good, right? Out of those, less than, I think it's 30%, it might have been 20%, have actually read the Bible from cover to cover, ever. What, what do we believe? And I, mean, I like Marco. But if you're part of this church, hopefully you don't believe everything comes out of his mouth if you haven't found it in Scripture. And he, he would tell you the same thing. It doesn't matter who it is that's speaking. It, you, the, the, the authority that someone has to teach is not because of their position. It's because of the Word Amen. of God. Because they have something to stand on, that there's a foundation that it comes from, and, and that becomes the plumb line. Things in Israel had gotten to the point where God was in the process of bringing judgment. In Deuteronomy, it talks clearly about the levels of judgment that were going to come upon the nation of Israel if they were going to leave God. There's five levels of what was going to happen. And they'd gotten to level three at this point. They ended up getting to level five later. But they were about level three when Amos was prophesying. And Amos, in his prophetic book, he, he writes about this experience where, where God shows him this, this thing of locusts that comes through the land and it destroyed everything green. Now that's one of the prophecies that's in Deuteronomy if the people leave God, that the locusts would come, it would destroy the vegetation, that there would be an economic downturn that would come when a people turn away from God. And so he, he sees this in a vision, and his first response is, oh, God, no, like, please. I mean, Israel, like, we're, we're so small. We're weak, God. Please have mercy. And God says, okay, okay, yeah, I, I won't do that. And then he shows him another thing. He shows him this fire that's going to come. It's going to ravage the land, right? Destruction, physical things, geo, uh, physical events that would happen that would bring about trauma to the land and to the people. And, and, and again, he's like, no, God, please, like, please, please, we're so small. Would you please forgive us? And, and God says, okay, I'll, I'll forgive you, but this I will do. I will put a plumb line in Israel, and everything's going to be measured by it. And we have that plumb line. Now, the plumb line is Messiah, 
Jesus, the Christ, but as revealed in the word, he's the word. That, that plumb line is, is now, that, that, that does not get changed no matter what. That plumb line is the only way that we can figure out. I, I mean, I don't know if that wall's straight or not, but it's really easy to find out. You, you take something with weight on it, you put a string on it, you hang it at the top, and you see if, it, if, it's, if it's even. If you can pull it away from the top and it's still touching the wall, then the wall's leaning that way. If you're holding it at the top and the bottom's not touching the wall, then the, the wall is leaning this way. It, it, it's real easy. You have a plumb line. You can tell what's true and what's not true. That's scripture. And if we're not actually taking a plumb line to hold it up, I, I used to work construction. I know that's why I know a little bit about plumb lines. And, and it was a saying I, I heard people say, and I wasn't even a believer, and I hated this saying every time I heard it. Well, it looks good from my house. How many of us would do that with the prophetic? Well, it's not really bugging me. We've got to have a plumb line. We have to have a standard. And when it comes to how we operate with revelation, there's some clear things. And then we have the example of those that were in Scripture that give us some understandings. Now, one of the, the key things, and you're thinking about how do I know when to do something with what I think God is saying? There, there's a few things you got to figure out. There, there's four aspects, if you will, to, to what, a prophetic word. The, the first aspect is what we call revelation. What was the thing that we think was God speaking? Did we have a dream? Did we have a vision? Was there an angel standing there? Did we feel like there was an angel standing there? Or did we actually see with our physical eyes? Was it clearly in the spiritual or was it in the physical? Was it an audible voice? Was it a thought? Was it a feeling? Was I reading scripture and it just seemed like it jumped out at me? Did I think about something? I just felt right about it. What, what was the actual revelation? Like, you've got to come down to that point there. And once you have the revelation, you have to discern, was that revelation actually from God? And we're going to talk about how to, to look at that. We'll, we'll look at the plumb line. We'll look at some other things that will help us to figure that piece out. But once, once you've figured out the revelation, then comes the second part. What's the interpretation? In Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, God is talking to Aaron and Miriam about Moses. And he goes, hey, if, there, if there's a prophet among you, I'm going to speak to him in a vision. I'm going to reveal myself. No, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to reveal myself to him in a vision. I'm going to speak to him in a dream. But not my servant Moses. With him, I'm speaking face to face. Like a man, I don't speak in dark speech. Now, that word dark speech literally means veiled sayings parables. The normal way that God speaks is through parables. Matthew chapter 13, 34, Jesus says that when he's speaking to the people, he speaks in parables. And, and it says, and he did not say anything that was not a parable. So there, there has to be some kind of an interpretation. What did it actually 
mean? So this was my experience. How much of that experience was God and how much of that experience was me? And then the part that was God, what was God actually intending to do with that? What, 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 what did he actually mean by that? If there's a dream, there, there's going to be some metaphor there. You're, you're going to have to figure out what it means. And then your ability to respond to that revelation is completely based on how good the interpretation is. Because you can have an actual dream that really is from God and interpret it wrong and you end up doing the wrong thing. All right, you, you've got to understand and, and, and the problem is we, we assume too much because we have language that fits our culture and we think because something reminds us of that language that we know what's being said. How, how long have you guys been in the States now? Four years. Four years. How many times in the last three months have you had somebody say something and you had to think about it because it doesn't mean the same thing here as it means in South Africa? Every day. Every day. We think that because we're hearing Christianese that God is speaking that way. But he's speaking from another culture. He's speaking from a kingdom culture. It sounds like a similar language, but we actually have to understand his culture and his language. We've got to be able to separate out those common sayings that we've gotten because we've heard the popular preachers. There's, there's, there's so many of these things that we could talk about. What's the interpretation? What did God mean when he initiated this communication? And, and that's going to take growth. One, you can grow in your ability to understand revelation, to receive revelation. Like, he, he who has, more will be given. That's specifically talking about hearing from God and then responding. So if we hear from God and we respond well, we're going to hear from God more. That's just how it works. He who has, more will be given. He who does not have, if you don't think that you hear from God, even what he does have will be taken from them. You'll find yourself hearing from God less because you don't think that you hear from God. So you've got to settle that piece. You've got to be faithful with what you have. That, that's how you get into more. So the revelation can grow, but your ability to interpret. There's, there's a skill, but there's also a revelation that comes. There's, there's some things that you recognize, okay, I've heard this before, and this is the same thing that I've heard before. I think I know what it means, right? And there's, that's a good reason. That's a good start to trying to figure out what it is. But there's other things that you can just figure it out because you can understand the context, right? I mean, I, I read books sometimes from different time periods, you start reading books from the early church fathers or books that were written 200 years ago. They, they use words. Or just try reading a book by a seminarian, somebody that's actually in seminary, that's not writing for common people. I, I, like, I, there's this one book that I love it's by Meredith Quine called Images of Light, it, Images of the Spirit. I mean, it, it's, it's an astounding book. I need to have a dictionary with me when I read it. Because he uses words that I, I, don't, I don't know. I've never heard anybody ever use. And some of them he actually makes up, which makes it really fun. <laughs> if we don't take that much care with revelation, if we just start assuming, we're going to miss something. We, we've got we've to really listen well. 
And, and here's the thing with listening well. You, you realize it takes time. And what do we say in our culture is the most valuable commodity? Yeah, no. I, I don't know if God agrees with that because you can't find that in Scripture, but where your heart is, your treasure is, if you consider that your treasure, then you can see how much you value something by how much time you'll give it. How much time do you actually give listening and understanding and responding to what God has said? That, that's how much you actually value his voice. Oh, but I value it way more than that. That's wonderful. Prove it. I mean, that's just a paraphrase of what's in Scripture. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're not actually doing what I want. They're doing what they want, and they're asking me to bless what they're doing instead of doing it my way. And I just heard you know, glory. Like, that was, that was beautiful. The definition of glory. It's God's response. With T. Austin Sparks, you know, God's response to things lining up with the way that he wants it. It's like his amen that comes. When we're do, doing things his way, there's this, this sense of pleasure because the, one of the root words for glory literally means weight, to give something weight. And it has this idea that, that when somebody is going in the same direction, they have the same values, you, you give them a little bit more weight in your decision. You give them a little bit more attention. You give them a little bit more focus. That, that concept, God, God gets pleased with us and he starts giving us attention, giving us focus when we line up. Now that doesn't mean saved or unsaved. That's a completely separate issue. Right, that gets settled by blood, and that blood was shed 2,000 years ago. But when it comes to intimacy, there are different levels of intimacy with God. Will we actually line up with his ways? Will our hearts actually move to where he's at? Are we trying to figure out how to get him to do what we want? The interpretation. So you got the revelation. How did it come? The interpretation. What did it mean? The third part is application. What do I do with it? What's the response? We're going to talk about different types of revelation and how you respond to different types of revelation. Are you supposed to do something with it? Are you just supposed to believe it? What's the right response? Do you need to tell people about it? Do you need to hold it secret? There's an application piece. And again, there, there needs to be some maturity. There's some growth. There's, there's a growth that happens in our response. We're having conversations with people. When we have more conversations and we start out at two years old, our response may or may not be accurate. But we learn through experience, hopefully, if we're actually paying attention to social clues, we're paying attention to how the things that we did and said affected other people and what it meant to the relationship. We, we learn, we mature in our ability to have conversations and respond in a conversation. That's going to happen in our life with God. There's some things you're not going to be able to be taught. You're going to have to figure out through practice. It's actually it's time with God. 
I, I, it was probably nine, ten years ago now that we went through emotionally healthy skills the first time. At least. At least. And it's a, a teaching. It, it's communication skills. Some stuff that we, we'd never heard. I mean, it's not stuff that we'd grown up with, and so a lot of it was new. We've been putting it into practice and growing in it for 10 years, and we're still finding areas that we still need to grow. We learned it, but we didn't learn it. We got information about it, but we learned it through using it and finding, well, that didn't work. What did I do wrong there? Well, let me start over. <laughs> They, there, there's a practice, there's something that comes with time. The anointing is not magic. Doesn't give you instantaneous what you want right now. Most of the time. And actually, the Bible warns us against that. I mean, one of the temptations that Jesus had to fight that came directly from the enemy was doing something good with spiritual power that he could have done that there was no law against. Turn these stones into bread. Use the anointing for yourself, for your own needs. Do you remember the next temptation? Worship me and all these kingdoms will be yours. It's one of the reasons why there's so many empires. Because as soon as you turn stones into bread, you'll worship to get your own little kingdom. Application. What do we do with it? And then the fourth part is the proclamation. How do we say it in such a way that it conveys the intent of God? Because you can have all the right words and say it wrong. Right? God, God could be speaking to someone how much he loves them. Hey, God loves you. That didn't come across right. That's, that's just not going to do a good job of communicating the intent of God. Now, I mean, that, that's, that's one piece. But what if you're not actually supposed to say it clearly? What if you're supposed to proclaim it in such a way that it veils it? What if you're supposed to share a parable? Remember Nathan, when he gets a word for David, he comes in. He's going to rebuke David for his sin of Bathsheba, and he starts telling him a story. There's a guy. He's got this one little baby lamb. He loves the lamb. It's his only lamb. It was in the house. His kids played with the lamb. I mean, he named the lamb. He slept. I mean, it's the only lamb. He didn't have much. But his neighbor has all these sheep. He's got all this stuff. And, you know, his neighbor had somebody come over, and he, he was hungry, and he didn't really want to bother with his own stuff. So he stole the little lamb from his neighbor and killed it to give something to his friend to eat. And David gets incensed. He's like, oh, who is it? I'm killing him. <laughs> you? <gasps> and he couldn't have heard it, most likely, if he had just said, hey, you slept with somebody you're not supposed to, and that's not right for a king to do. He could have had excuses. He could have had blah, blah, blah. Right, But now all of a sudden, because it was said in the right way, 
it goes right past all the defenses and gets right to the heart. Sometimes we've got the right message with the wrong proclamation, and we wonder why it's not landing, why people aren't listening to the truth that we're speaking. It's because of how we're saying it, not just what we're saying. You know, Agabus gets this prophecy for Paul. We're going to look at it a little bit later. We'll see if we get to it tonight or in the morning. And, and how he gives a prophecy is he takes Paul's belt off of him, wraps his own arms, hands with it, and says, in this way, the owner of this belt will be bound. Like there was a drama, Ezekiel. I want you to lay on one side for this many days, and then you're going to lay on the other side for the other side. I mean, and hopefully you don't get a word like Isaiah. Hey, I want you to strip down and walk around naked for three years. And anytime anybody asks you about it, here's what you say. Now, different culture, that didn't have the same meaning and reaction it would in our culture. They were not so consumed with lust like we are today. So it didn't bother people like it does today. But doesn't, that doesn't matter. That, that's, that's a non-issue. The issue is just communicating in a different way. It's not just what's the truth, but how do we say it? Who do we say it to? How much are you allowed to say? All of these are things that we need to grow in if we're going to respond to what God is saying. Part of it, especially when someone is giving you word, but even when you're you're getting something for yourself, is to figure out how to isolate the meat. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is a famous passage in talking about prophetic utterances. Starting in verse 19, three super short verses. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. In other words, Paul expected that in the church that people were going to get a prophetic word that wasn't all going to be good and it was going to have to be separated out. It's why it's so dangerous to have someone getting up and saying, God told me without there being a community that has helped to discern whether or not that word should be shared and how it should be shared. Now, there's, there's ways to do that in community when it's for the community. But what I'm talking about is people outside of community that wake up from a dream and get on and put up a live video that, that very day on YouTube about their experience. Who, who's helped help them discern it? Who's actually figured out what was really God and what wasn't God? What, what, who helped them figure out what it really meant? Did it actually mean what they think that it meant? How, how much, who helped them figure out What's the right way to say it? Who actually needs to say it? Just because God said something doesn't mean everybody needs to hear it. The only thing that everybody needs to hear that God ever said was scripture. It's all right there. Everything else is a word for some people. That's the word for all people. And so, so you can get a word and maybe it's only for two people. It could be an accurate word. It could be a right word and you're supposed to say it, but you're only supposed to say it to this group. But this word you're supposed to say to this group, those issues we have to figure out. So test everything, hold fast what is good. Now, right before that, he says, do not despise prophecies. Because once you start actually testing and you find out 
that there's a good amount of what people think is God that's not actually God, there's going to be a temptation to despise prophecies. And so he says that right up front. That, that word despise in the Greek, it, it's not the same way. I was surprised when I, when I read what it actually means. Because when I hear the word despise, I think of, ugh, yuck, right? Like there's a detestable thing. It, it's, ugh. There's, a, there's an emotional, visceral reaction, despise. It's not that word at all. That word means don't give it the same value that it has. It means treat it as less valuable. It doesn't mean to hate or detest. It means to give it less value than what God intended. Be careful not to give prophecies less value than what God intended. Now, that means you're going to have to test it out because not everything was actually God. But once you figure out what is God, you actually have to give it value. And when you catch yourself, and, and you, you have to watch your heart. I mean, I, I, I've had to really watch my heart because I hear a lot of prophetic words, and a lot of them are nonsense. And they're being broadcast to thousands and thousands of people. I have to watch my heart constantly. So when somebody, oh, did you hear the prophetic word from so-and-so? My first reaction is not. I have to guard my heart. Lord, am I supposed to listen to that? But just because somebody gave a word doesn't mean you have to figure out. But, Lord, am I supposed to listen to that? Doesn't mean it's accurate or inaccurate. Yep, listen to that one. Then it's, is it accurate or inaccurate? But it's always turning it back to the Lord and letting him guide that. Because what if he's speaking? I, I, I want to be humble enough to hear him when he speaks through an ass or donkey, whichever we want to call it. But I want to be wise enough not to keep going back for more. I, I want to hear him when he speaks through anybody and everybody. And I've got to keep that humility and that hunger to be able to do that. And, and when we come to Revelation, there's this mix because God does not remove our humanity. Do you ever notice that? He actually works through broken vessels. So when we are speaking something, there's an element of what God said and there's an element of us that got mixed into it. And our goal as we mature is to get to the point where there's less and less of us and more and more of God. Like that, that's the goal. But that, that's going to take time. That's going to take maturity. That, that, that's going to take all four of these things. Revelation, growing, and our ability to receive, our ability to recognize our, our ability to interpret, our ability to apply, understanding what to do with it, and then how to say it in the right way. All those things have to grow, and any one of those four, our humanity can get in the midst of it and start messing it up. And then that, that really helps us to think about how to respond to prophetic words, because when we get a prophetic word, we've got to figure out, well, how much of that was their personality, how they say it, how much of it was actually God, like the idea that we're supposed to take a, a prophetic word 
and, and write it out word for word and hold every single word as if it was the very words of God is a little bit scary. Now, I, th I think she actually think it's a good idea to write out prophetic words. It's part of the discernment, and you look for those things that God highlights, and it's part of the discerning process because there's pieces in there that's going to be valuable, but what you're looking for is the essence. What was the intent of God? And when I'm looking, I'm sorting it through. It's not because I'm trying to protect myself from getting deceived. I'm trying to find the heart of God. You don't defeat evil with evil. You, you can't get a negative. I mean, unless you're speaking English, you don't, or, or doing math, you, you don't uh, re remove a negative by a, uh, another negative. When it comes to the spirit world, the only way to remove a negative is to bring a positive. The only way to remove a negative is to bring a positive. You don't defeat evil with evil. You defeat evil with good. Which means that if I want to protect myself from deception, the last thing that I need to do is be afraid of being deceived. I need to have a heart for him. Because my heart for him, that's the good thing that will protect me. Because if I'm going to try to protect myself from deception, I'm trusting myself. I've already missed it. But if I keep my heart for him and I'm actually trusting him, then I can trust him to do that. Remember Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13? You're, you're evil people, and you know which, which father among you, if your son asks for a piece of bread, are going to give him a stone? Or ask for an egg, you're going to give him a scorpion? If you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more would your heavenly father give good gifts to you? He's going to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So, so if your heart is genuinely after the Lord, not, not after your own benefit, not after supernatural activity because you're fascinated with paranormal stuff, it's, your heart is after the Lord, you can trust the Lord to guide you into all truth. And having the heart going after him is the key. Keeping it about relationship with him. Making him the primary focus of the prophetic. Not secret information. Because that's not the point of the prophetic. So there's a mix of words of man and words of God. Let's use, I'm going to use an example of this right out of scripture. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. This is the story I, was, I alluded to earlier when I talked about Paul. So we're picking up at the end of the, the last of Paul's missionary journeys that, that are in Scripture, and he's on his way to Jerusalem where he ends up being arrested and then eventually sent to Rome, um, where the book of Acts ends in Rome. Um, from what we know, he actually got out of that arrest and did do some more ministry before he went back to Rome and, and was killed. But... He's on his journey back to Rome, and in his journey, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. This, he's with the elders in Ephesus, and he says in verses 22 and 23 this. It says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. So Paul has revelation 
and he knows that God is directing him. The Holy Spirit has told him, you must go to Jerusalem. He's constrained. Like, he doesn't have any other options but to go to Jerusalem. This is where he's at. And every place he goes, people are telling him, hey, when you get to Jerusalem, it's going to be difficult. You're going to get in prison. You're going to have trials. Let's continue on to the next stop in his journey in chapter 21 and verse 4. So they're, they're landing at Tyre. In verse 4, it says, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. He's constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. God's telling him what's going to happen in Jerusalem. But they're trying to say through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Do you realize that he's, he's using through the Spirit as a word for prophecy. People are speaking because they're feeling something of the Holy Spirit, and they're telling him not to do what God has told him to do. But what does Paul already have? Paul already has revelation that there's afflictions, there's imprisonment that's waiting for him when he gets there. So he has a grid to put this in. He realized, wait a second, they don't have the full picture they're just feeling the Spirit saying that it's bad. And so they're trying to say not to go. There's revelation there, but it's a bad interpretation and a bad application. So he separates it out. Now there's a little bit more clear picture here in just a second. Go to verse 10 in chapter 21. He gets on to Caesarea and he gets to the house of Philip as the four daughters of prophesy. And starting in verse 10, it says, And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, remember Agabus. He's one of the very few people in the New Testament that are called a prophet. The prophet Agabus. Right? There's, there's Silas. There's Judas. There's um, his four daughters that prophesy. They're not called prophets, but that prophesy. There's... You know, there, there's not a lot that are given that name. So this is somebody that is recognizable. Actually, one of his prophetic words was about the famine that was coming to the, the known world that actually happened a few years after he prophesied it that prompted the, the, the travels that Paul did where he gathered up money to bring to Jerusalem for the people that were going to be affected because he knew that the people of Jerusalem, the, the Jewish people specifically, that there was... There's special grace in giving financially to them because we had received spiritually from them. That's what he talks about in Romans. So using that principle, they decide this is the right thing. Famine's going to hit the whole known world, so we're going to get send money to Jerusalem so that when the famine hits that we're going to be taken care of, sowing and reaping. And so this, the whole church comes, they, they all move before it happens because of his prophetic word. So this is a solid, recognized prophetic voice in the early church. While we were staying there many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, here's your prophetic word. This is how... The Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. 
When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Catching what's going on? Right? It's just another clarification of the same principle. Yeah, God's there. God's speaking. They're just misunderstanding God's intent and what's being said. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now, their application's all wrong. Wait a second, you're going to be bound? You're going to be handed over to the Gentiles? That's not good. We love Paul. We need Paul. Paul, Paul's our leader. Like, he's been teaching us. Like, I mean, no, this is not good. This is bad for the church. This is bad for you. It's bad for me. I don't like it. This can't be God. You see how quickly they got there? And if you can't see yourself in that process, start to see yourself in the process because we all do it. We all do it. We hear something. And we start to put it in the lens of what we want, what we think, and what we feel. Now, here's the fun thing. Agabus is prophecy. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem are going to bind the owner of this belt, turn him over to the Gentiles. Do you remember what happened when he gets to Jerusalem? He's in the temple. Some of the Jews that knew some of Paul's teaching about law and grace and what, what he taught to the Galatians and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, they, they're really mad because they think that he's against Judaism. And so they're, they're like, hey, this guy's defiling the temple. And the Jews start a mob and start trying to beat Paul to death. The Romans find out about it. They come in. They rescue Paul. And the Romans bind Paul and save him from the hands of the Jews. That's not actually what was said, is it? But the idea of being bound and Jews and Gentiles both being involved and Gentiles ending up with Paul was all accurate. But it was a little bit off. We still call him the prophet Agabus. We're not going to be 100% accurate. 100% of the time. We have to be humble enough to be okay with that. We we have to be humble enough to be okay with other people being like that. We actually have to make room for people to grow. You, You ever heard somebody preach for the very first time? How many times was it the most amazing message you ever heard? Not, is it? (laughs) That's their first time. Like they're growing. I remember hearing somebody that, you know, I was doing a study on preaching, and this person's like, you know, just, just figure it out in your head. The first 500 times you preach, it's not going to be good. You're going to take at least that long just to figure out your own voice and how to communicate with people. I mean, that, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. When we encourage them, I mean, if somebody starts out and they're, they're not good, we point out what they did do good. We give them some helpful pointers. We help them grow. Hopefully, we're going to help them grow, especially if we know a little bit about something about teaching. 
well, you, you know, you, you, you kind of misclarified your point. It wasn't really clear what you were trying to say. That was a really good story. And I understood where it meant, but if, you know, like we give that good, there's good feedback that we can give. Why don't we do that with a prophetic? Oh, but as soon as you start doing that, somebody's going to get all a huff. But I heard from God. Don't you listen to Holy Spirit. You're quenching him. Don't tell me I don't have it right. God spoke. And I hear him 100% accurate every time. Right? Get rid of your ego. If you actually want to hear from God well. Because it'll kill you every single time. Because you'll present things more than what they're supposed to be presented. And sooner or later, if you actually have people that love you, they're going to challenge it. Now, people don't care about you, and they just want to use you. They won't challenge it. They'll just keep on giving you a microphone so they can get their entertainment. But if they love you, they'll actually say, that's a good word, I get where you're going. Kind of missed it there. Like, if you would have said it this way, this would have been better. Or, hey, you know, you, you said this was going to happen, but this is what actually happened when it played out. But there, there's, there's a conversation. Do you realize the way that God communicates with us should be the model that we use when we're communicating with his people. How many people does God manipulate into doing his will? Doesn't happen, does it? I mean... If, if he was going to control things to make sure it worked out his way, Adam and Eve would have never fallen. So the prophetic is not about controlling things to make sure it happens his way. It's about giving people invitations to encounter God. We're, we're, we're actually giving people an opportunity to respond to him for themselves. We're not telling them what to do. We're offering something. Now they are their own person. They get to choose how they're going to respond to that. Anybody still get bills in the mail? They're emails now. So I mean, not, not many of them actually come physically. Okay. So I, think, think about this picture for a second. Next Tuesday... You happen to be at home during the day when the postman comes by. And he knocks on your door. You realize it's the postman. You're like, well, maybe you need to sign for something. So you open up the door and postman goes, hey, hey um, I noticed that I gave you your electric bill two weeks ago. I'm just checking in. Have you paid that bill yet? <laughs> I mean, because I delivered that bill to you. I just want to make sure that you don't forget because that bill... I mean, it, it was a real bill. Like, you actually have to pay that bill. Like, you paid that bill, right? 
I mean, that really was a bill. I mean, it came in the mail. Like, I, I received it, and I know it came from the right source. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Yeah. Why do we do that with the prophetic? We're just delivering mail. What they do with it's their problem. It's their problem. When you stand before him, you're not going to be asked how people responded to your prophetic words. You're going to be asked how you responded to his voice. Do we represent him well? I mean, imagine if we would actually take the nature of Christ, the way that he interacts with people, and bring it into apologetics. I mean, I know this is separate than prophecy, but instead of trying to argue people and forcing them into a point of view, we would actually love them and offer them truth and love them and offer them truth. And when they screamed and yelled, not take offense, not feel like we're responsible to try to change them, to fix them, to manipulate them. What if we stopped confusing God's reputation with ours? Let's just put it that way. Because it's the same root for all of it. And we think that when what we present as God isn't received, it's an affront to his reputation in our heads, but in reality, it's because it's affected our reputation. And we're afraid if people don't respond as if we just gave them the word from the Lord, they might not think we're that anointed. And what if we don't really have that much value? So when you get to the root, it always comes down to one issue. Do you know that you're loved by him no matter what? Can you make a mistake and still be loved? Can other people think you made a mistake and you still feel loved? even if they're wrong. I mean, sometimes it's worse when they're right. So what it really comes down to is, do we really believe his voice in here? Or do we have to have the feedback from others to tell us that we actually hear from him? That's what, that's what it'll always come down to. This thing about walking with God, it's not about who's prophetic and who's not prophetic. It's just about a people that are being loved by God, that are walking together, trying to figure out how to follow him the best that they can in this community. We've actually been called into a new family. This thing called the church is a restoration of what was intended by God in family. These relationships that we have with one another. 
And, and as family, we have all these pictures of family. I mean, what does that look like in this culture or this culture or this culture? I mean, you better not mess up because what you do makes me look bad. Like, I heard that one. You know, going, going over to somebody's house, like, I, what was I, probably nine, ten years old? And we're on the way to a friend's house. And I still remember this to this moment. It's kind of funny how you remember certain things. And, uh, and my mom drops the bomb on the way over there. Because we're going over for dinner. She hadn't told anybody until just now. She goes, so Betty's cooking liver and onions. And you're going to eat them? And you're going to smile and say that they were good. I don't care what you think about them. Don't make me look bad. Right? God is not expecting you to defend his reputation. He just wants you to be you. The real you, not the fake you that your culture says that you are, that your experience has told you you are, the you that is found when you look in his eyes and you find his reflection and you see him in you, that, that you, the real you, made in the image of Christ, The one that stood and heard the words when heavens cracked open said, this is my beloved. They make me happy. That you. Before you do anything. Before you accomplish a single thing. And if we can start there, we've got a foundation that we can start growing on to figure out what God actually is saying and how to respond to it. Because if we can get the ego out of this thing, and we can get all of the, the positioning out of this thing. We have a chance. Well, actually, <laughs> we have a really good chance because God intended it. And there's no such thing as a word that comes from God that returns void. And he said, my sheep hear my voice. They will follow me. Amen. And so we're going to hear him and we're going to obey him, whether we realize it or not. <laughs> it's going to happen. We don't have a choice in it. But it's a lot funner when you get to realize it. We're going to get to the point, and there's going to be a people that, that really do hear from God and can respond to his voice well, and that's what we're called to. Yay. Well, we've got a lot more to teach. We'll see. I've got notes for six messages. I got through one. They're not all that long. I really wanted to lay a foundation, and I said a lot of things that I'll be saying as we go through this. We'll, we'll kind of dial it in. But I, I really, if we can get the foundation right, then there's, we, we can actually get to where we're going. If we can't get the foundation right, it is not going to, it's not going to go well. <laughs>